0: If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, be finding your place at one of the greatest Christmas verses in all of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. And uh, if you are newer to Abilene, you may not know this. If you've been around for a while, you probably already do. But I absolutely love books. How many of you all know that? Uh, I love books. I love reading. I have a deal with the UPS guy that he's really not allowed to come and deliver anything here at the church unless he delivers a book uh, to me as well. I absolutely love uh, books. I love stories uh, especially that have a captivating, riveting beginning. And so what I did the other day as we were kind of hanging out and getting ready for some of the presentations, I went back and I I just kind of did a little bit of research on uh, some of the most famous beginning lines of books and stories of all time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call them out to you. And and if you recognize and you know what book or story they're from, if you'll just kind of wave at me and and we'll see how cultured we are uh, here together uh, today. And here's the very first one, and I love this one, and it's just really short and simple. Call me Ishmael. How many of y'all know where that's from? What's it from? Yeah, Moby Dick, that's right. How about this one right here? A little harder. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. How many of y'all know what that comes from? How many, what is it? Pride and Prejudice. Absolutely. Wow, I'm impressed. Here's another one. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. How many of y'all know what that's from? Anybody know what that's from? Anybody? I'm looking in the balcony. Anybody know what that's from? Anna Karenina. That's that's the opening line of Anna Karenina. How about this one? It's a little bit longer, but you're going to know it right off the bat. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And of course, that comes from a tale of two cities. Now, it's not a book, but hello, my name's Forrest. (laughs) Forrest Gump. You want a chocolate? And then perhaps the most famous beginning line in history, the famous beginning line in any story ever told a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which comes from Star Wars. Wars, That's right. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to begin a brand new series of studies, a short series for this Christmas season that I'm simply entitling The Christmas Story, and here's what I want to do. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you the beginning line of the most important story ever told, the story of Christmas. And I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the first Noel or the first Christmas, or more specifically, the promise of the first Christmas. Because here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have a promise that is given by God and it is a promise concerning the coming of Christ into a world that has rebelled against the Father's command and as a result has fallen into a horrible terrible condition that the Bible calls sin and so in response to man's sinfulness God gives to a subtle slimy sneaky serpent and us as well by the way the promise of Christmas now if you're like me the first time that I heard that, that I, that I heard that, I thought to myself, "Well, that just can't be right. That that just can't be true." Because the first promise of Christmas had to be when that angel came to Mary in Luke and said, "Do not be afraid, Mary, uh, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name." Jesus, that that's got to be the first promise of Christmas. Or, if it's not there, then perhaps it's over in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three, where the angel comes to Joseph and says to him, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us." That's where it's got to be. Now, if it's not in the New Testament, then actually it could possibly be back in the Old Testament. Maybe it's in that verse in Ma- Micah chapter five, uh, where the, the prophet tells us that the Messiah will be born in the littlest of towns, the little town of Bethlehem. Or if it's not that, then perhaps it is that first promise uh, that is made there in Isaiah 7 that the angel quoted to Joseph. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I thought to myself, that's got to be, that has to be the first promise of Christmas in all of the Bible. That, that's what I thought. Until I notice the Christmas connection in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I will say this, that all of those are, they're all great Christmas verses, and they are wonderful Christmas promises. But the truth of the matter is, is that the first promise of Christmas, the beginning line in the Christmas story is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I want you to listen to this wonderful promise of Christmas and grace and hope that is given right in the middle of God's pronouncement of judgment on the notice, no, serpent. Notice what he says. And I will put enmity, that means war, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Steve Farrar has written a really delightful little devotional for the Christmas season. And it's entitled, Looking Forward to the Manger. And the very first chapter in his little devotional uh, begins with this. Listen to what he says. These powerful words he writes. It was the beginning of all time, the start of human history. There was a garden called Eden. Within that garden, God planted the seed of the Christmas story. As Adam and Eve walked around the Garden of Eden, God told them that they could eat any of its fruit except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But one day history was changed forever. Adam and Eve ate some fruit from the tree that God had told them not to eat from the devil in the form of a serpent Had tempted them to demand their own way because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. He threw them out of the garden Although God was angry He promised that someday a savior one of Adam and Eve's own seed or offspring would come to overthrow all evil and the devil Adam and Eve looked forward to that day. That day of course is Christmas the birthday of Jesus Eve's seed and our Savior And I love, I don't know who wrote it, but somebody, an anonymous writer wrote these words that Christmas began in the heart of God. It is complete only when it reaches the heart of man. Christmas began in the heart of God. It's his good idea. But it is only complete when it reaches the heart of man. And so really quickly this morning, because I know every one of us are tired. And again, if you have fallen asleep, I see you. God bless your heart. And so, but let me just give you three little things this morning uh, that, that I want to draw your attention to as we talk about and notice the promise of Christmas. Number one, notice this promise of a spiritual conflict because God told the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." So this statement is covered with conflict. You can tell that there's a fight that's coming. It's a fight. It's a war that was waged for thousands of years, and we even still today still see some of the after skirmishes of this war. There's the serpent and his seed, and then there is the seed of the woman. And here's what I love about this verse. God didn't ask any questions. He didn't didn't ask the devil to give his side of the story. Uh, He didn't enter into a dialogue with the devil. And by the way, while I'm here, can I say this? You shouldn't either. You shouldn't try to dialogue with the devil or debate with the devil. Uh, Just do what God did. What did God do here? God, right there on the spot, he judged him and declared war upon him. And in that declaration of war, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve heard the gospel message for the very first time. And they lifted up their heads and they opened up their ears to listen to the marvelous message of hope. And the very first promise given in all of the Bible. And so this verse right here really has a very... Very specific, special name. It is called the Proto Evangelion, the first gospel, the first evangel, if you will. It is the very first promise of good news in all of the Bible. Now, do you remember what those shepherds remember the words that those shepherds heard on that very first Christmas night? Remember what those shepherds were told. The Bible says there in Luke chapter two. Then the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid." For behold, I bring you good tidings, that is good news, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we've read that, we've heard that, we're going to, we'll read that on Christmas, if you do like I do at my family, uh, we're going to read the Christmas story, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, Luke chapter 2, we're going to read that verse right there. And here's what we fail to realize sometimes, that that verse right there goes all the way back to our verse 4 this morning, Genesis chapter three because in order for there to be good news there has to be bad news how many of y'all get that can i see your hands in order for there to be good news there has to be bad news well what is the bad news the bad news is that, that that man has sinned man disobeyed god and as a result death and despair and discouragement and depravity have been entered into this world there these are all the results of satan's deception and man's rebellion and so you have this good news now is there on that that very first christmas that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He made the journey from the cradle to the cross to finish the fight that started way back there in the very beginning. So I told the, the, the West Campus this morning, so uh, I, I just finished, I graduated, I'm, I'm glad to be done. Uh, somebody asked his wife the other day and the guy told me, he said, my wife said, what's the pastor gonna do next? And he said, there ain't nothing for him to do. Uh, and there's nothing. I wrote in my dissertation on the uh, acknowledgement page, I made a promise, put it in writing to my wife that this is the last degree that That I will ever attempt. I am done. D-O-N-E, done. Or as we would say in Tennessee, D-U-N, done. And so I'm done. And so, uh, yeah. And so, but when I started out in school, I wasn't, I, 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 yeah, I made a 36 in Spanish one six weeks. A third, a 36. And so for those of you that get really upset with your, with your children when they bring home grades that you don't like and you wonder, are they ever going to make it? No, they'll just be like me and be in school till they're nearly 50. Uh, and, and so, but I made a 36. But even though I didn't do really well in Spanish, I always did very, very well in English. I was honors in English. And so I, I love English. I love poetry. I love verse. And I love this little thing about Robert Frost. Stopping by a woods on a snowy evening, he writes, The woods are dark and deep but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. And I read that verse years ago and I thought, you know, that's kind of the way it was with Jesus. Jesus made a promise. God made a promise. And Jesus, that journey all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to Luke chapter 2 And miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. See, there's the promise of a spiritual conflict. But then number two, there's this promise of a special conception. Now, go back in our verse for this morning. Let me show you something that you may not have noticed. Or maybe you've been sitting there scratching your head and wondering, now, where in the world does he get Christmas and Jesus out of this verse? Well, listen carefully. Uh, The the, the Lord said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and and her seed. That's not the way it normally happens, right? That's not the way that it's normally done. When you read the family tree in the Bible, it it's almost always uses. The man's name. Go back to Genesis. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Cush begat Nimrod. Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, in Heth. And so normally it is the man's progeny, the man's offspring, the man's seed uh, that that is talked about in the Bible. So it's normally through the fathers and the grandfathers that even today we trace our lineage back. Why is that? Well, it's a large part because of the fall. Because sin comes through the seed of man. That's why in Genesis, when it talks about Adam's boys, it it says something like this, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Seth, have you ever had somebody say, well, we're all created in God's image? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, we're all created in God's image. Sounds good, not true. Adam Adam was created in God's image. Now... We are created in Adam's fallen image because Adam had a son and it's all the way down to us. We are his seed. And so as a result, by the way, what kind of image is that? A fallen image, a sinful image, a ruined image, which is why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said in 1 Corinthians, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You see, Adam was ultimately held responsible for sin entering into this world. He would bear the brunt of the burden. He would realize the responsibility for a ruined race. That's why the solution to the problem of sin could not come through the seed of man. It would have to come through the seed of the woman. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the fact that in the very first book of the Bible, there is the promise of the virgin birth the seed of the woman. I want you to stop. Are y'all still there this morning? I want you to, I know you're tired. But I want you to stop for just a second, and I want you to think about the amazing amount of grace and mercy and forgiveness that is right there in that one verse. God said to Eve, he said, Eve, even though you've messed up, you've blown it, you've disobeyed, you've rebelled, you've sinned, there is going to come a woman just like you. And from that woman, I'm going to provide one who will restore and renew what you just destroyed. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, to God's old covenant people, this verse was a beacon of hope. To Satan, it was a God's declaration of war, climaxing in his condemnation. And to Eve, it was the assurance that she was forgiven and that God would use a woman to bring the Redeemer into the world. By the way, kind of gives new meaning, right? To that prophecy we read every time about this year out of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And then there's one last thing that I want you to see, and that's the promise of a settled conflict. Because Satan started it, Jesus is going to finish it. Listen to the last part of that verse. He shall bruise your head and and, and you shall bruise his heel. So what's the difference between, between those two bruises? Well, one you get over, one you don't. Have y'all watched on social media this week? There's this nut in, in uh, New York uh, who hit a guy in the head with a baseball bat. Did y'all, did y'all see that this week? How many of y'all have seen that? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all have not seen that? Well, for those of you have not seen it, there's this dude walking around New York with a baseball bat down his pants. Down his jogging pants. He's got a baseball bat down his pants. Some guy does something he doesn't like. The guy walks past him. He pulls the baseball bat out of his pants, walks up behind and hits him in the head with a baseball bat. How many of y'all know that doesn't go well? So that's kind of, so what you have here, you're going to have this bruise, one to the head, one to the heel, one you get over, one you don't. One is temporary, one is terminal. John Stott wrote, God foretells that this age-long conflict will culminate in suffering, though more for Satan than for Eve's descendant, for a single champion is now in mind. God says he will crush your head, dealing a lethal death blow to the serpent, while you will strike his heel. That is, he will not escape injury himself. I, I'm just telling you, it's one of, the really, one of the most amazing and accurate prophecies about the life and work and ministry of Jesus in all of the Bible. What, what is the temporary bruise? It's the cross. What is the terminal bruise? It is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Herbert Lockyer put it this way, at Calvary, Christ as the seed destroyed Satan's power and authority and bought us back from sin, slavery, captivity, and death. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. According to a legend, there's this legend, Satan and his demons were holding a Christmas party. I'm not really sure why they were holding a Christmas party, but just work with me, okay? So Satan and his, his demons were holding a Christmas party. After it was over, the demons are filing out. They're leaving, and there's this one demon who turns uh, to, his, to, to Satan and says, Merry Christmas, Master! And the devil turns and looks at this, this lone demon with a scowl and says, Merry? Yes, Keep it married. for if they ever get serious about it, we're all in trouble. On Christmas morning, December 25th, underneath most of our trees, there'll be gifts. Anybody here behind like we are? Can I, can I see your hands? <laughs> yeah. You got a little bit of time. Catch up. But by the time we get there, there'll be those trees that'll already be up. Anybody anybody still need to get your tree up? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all have had it up since like the 4th of July? Can I see yours? (laughs) But by the time we get to the 25th of December, our trees will be up and the presents will be under the trees. Many gifts under those Christmas trees. But on Calvary's tree, there was just one gift. But that one gift included all other gifts. And it's the gift of God's only begotten Son. And I think that's why Vance Havner said, Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. Gifts. The gift of God to man, his son. And the gift of man to God when we first give ourselves to God. That's why we exchange gifts. Now, now, some people think we exchange gifts because the wise men brought gifts. And if you have been to the presentations, you've heard from the experts what those wise men Brought gold and treasure socks. and socks. <laughs> it's a pretty good gift. But on Christmas we exchange gifts to remind us of the greatest gift who's ever been given, and it's Jesus. Amen. Paul says he's God's indescribable, unspeakable gift. And as I've, as I've asked every single presentation, and I'll ask again this afternoon, have you received God's indescribable gift of Jesus? And if not, what good reason could you give for not doing that before we leave today? Wilde English wrote this poem, God grants you the light of Christmas, which is faith the warmth of Christmas, which is love, the radiance of Christmas, which is purity, the righteousness of Christmas, which is justice, the belief of Christmas, which is truth, and the all of Christmas, which is Christ.